This is episode number four, Raising Confident Kids. This is The Path of Imperfection, a podcast for imperfect women and the imperfect men who love them. If you are ready to show how big your brave is and lean into this human experience, join the journey. Man, this is the season of sick. (laughs) I don't think we've had a solid week yet since the season of sick has happened where we haven't had some kind of yuck lurking around our house. Today, I am well, and I have gratitude for that, so I figure I'll cash in on it and record while my voice doesn't sound like Darth Vader going through puberty. Maybe, if you're lucky, I'll have another bout of that so you can hear exactly what Darth Vader going through puberty sounds like. I'm Becky Hennessy, your hiking buddy down this path of imperfection. Welcome if you're just joining us, and welcome back if you're still listening. After you've listened today, just take a minute to head to my website, brickstherapy.com, it's B-R-I-C-K-S, therapy.com, and subscribe to the newsletter. I know, I know, you think newsletter? Who has time to read a newsletter? I'll tell you who, you do. It's just a brief blurb to help you know what's up and coming and maybe give you some more gas to get through your week. I am an independent facilitator for Love & Logic which means that I'm not employed by them, but I do go to trainings provided by them and I teach classes using their strategies. Now, of course, I'm incredibly biased about the people who take my class. I see them all as awesome and intentional parents. What's an intentional parent? Well, an intentional parent is someone who means to parent. This is a parent who doesn't just go with the flow, who doesn't just cross their fingers and hold on tight and hope that all is well. This is one who parents with intention. And I've noticed that intentional parents all seem to want to raise confident kids. I am homeschooling my kiddos. It's something that I have been and continue to be terrified to do, but God has said I needed to, so I am. We use various different dictionaries while we do vocabulary at home. And one that we use often is kids.net.au. The definition that they give for confidence is freedom from doubt, belief in yourself and abilities, a feeling of trust. So today we're going to talk about how to raise kids who are free of doubt, who believe in themselves and their abilities, and who have feelings of trust in themselves. These are kids who are okay with who they are. They're kids that don't change according to who they're hanging out with. These are kids who own their strengths and their struggles and who are okay with being flawed because they know that it's part of being human. Now, because I'm a God-fearing woman, I think that there is a lot to be said about a trust in God. A big portion of our kids' confidence lies in their ability to not only believe in Him, but to believe Him. That is an entirely different episode. And we'll get there. But for today, I'm going to dip into my love and logic bucket. I'm going to dip into my therapist bucket. And we're going to talk about other ways that we can help our kids' confidence increase. So there's five key points that I'm going to talk about today. Five things that if they're present, you will most likely be on the right path to raising a confident kiddo. They're in no particular order, just the order that my brain is spitting them out today. So here we go. The first thing that we're going to talk about today is we are going to talk about chores. Our kids need chores. They need to contribute to the family as a whole. 
Chores allow our kids to feel emotionally connected to something other than themselves, something bigger. It allows them to have a sense of purpose and it also helps them in future arenas. So future academic arenas, future careers, and future households. The more consistent these chores are, the better. Now, I don't say that because I've mastered it. I start something new with chores, you know, every other week or something like that. I'm just saying this to remind myself of how important that consistency is and how important chores are in building our kids' confidence. Another thing that helps in building that confidence is empathetic accountability. Now, if you're wondering what empathy is or isn't, listen to my last podcast. That will explain a ton about empathy. Or you can watch a clip on YouTube. It's called Brene Brown on Empathy. Now, Brene is spelled B as in boy, R-E-N as in Nancy E, B-R-E-N-E, Brown on Empathy. She has an awesome clip on there that describes empathy perfectly. Empathy, in short, is feeling with people. So empathetic accountability is when we feel the discomfort that comes from what the kiddo said or did with them. But we also stay off the blame train and we keep them off it too. So I'm going to say that again. Empathetic accountability is basically when we feel the discomfort with our kiddos that comes from whatever they did or whatever they said. And we also stay off the blame train and we keep them off it too. Go to YouTube and YouTube another one of Brene Brown's clips. It's Brene Brown's clip on blame. So if you just put in Brene Brown on blame, it'll pull up. She identifies that blame is the discharge of discomfort or pain. So when we blame ourselves or we blame somebody else, or when we let our kids blame us or blame someone else, in essence, we're robbing our kid of that ability to see that they are capable of owning their stuff and capable of sitting in discomfort. When we stay off the blame train while holding our kids' hands so they can't board it either, all while being empathetic, they learn that they are absolutely capable of handling and learning from their poor decisions. This is tricky because when our kids hurt and our kids have discomfort, we become a mama bear or a papa bear, if there's any papa bears listening. We become this person who is like, who did this to you? Or this is unfair. Or we get into a place of, oh my gosh, I can't believe what kind of parent I am. I did this to you. But if it's something that our kiddo did, it's our job as their parent to have empathy for them, to sit in that discomfort with them, and to keep them off the blame train, leading out by our example of not boarding it either. So the third thing we're going to talk about is self-compassion. This is a new buzzword. Dr. Kristen Neff, that's N-E-F-F, is the self-compassion guru. If you Google self-compassion, you'll find her on there. She has a website, selfcompassion.org, I believe. Self-compassion is basically extending compassion to oneself in instances of perceived inadequacy, failure, or general suffering. So this is Dr. Neff's definition of self-compassion. Extending compassion to oneself in instances of perceived inadequacy, failure, or general suffering. 
So here's how she explains the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion. If we want confident kids, we get to take them down the path of self-compassion, not self-esteem. And here's why. Self-esteem refers to our sense of self-worth or our perceived value or how much we like ourselves. So self-esteem is often based on how different we are from others, how much we stand out, how special we are. Dr. Neff has found that in attempts to raise self-esteem, it sometimes results in narcissistic self-absorbed behavior or it leads to others putting people down in order to feel better about themselves. She's found that the need of a high self-esteem sometimes can also encourage us to ignore or distort or hide personal shortcomings so that we can't see ourselves clearly and accurately. So it's this idea of, I have this flaw, but I'm not going to see this flaw because I need to feel good about myself. Okay. She also argues that our self-esteem is often contingent on our latest success or failure. So what that means is that that self-esteem can fluctuate depending on the circumstances. And those circumstances are always changing. Self-esteem is perceiving yourself, judging yourself either positively or negatively against something or someone else. So it's all based on external factors, which is risky. And it's not a place we want our kids to be. Self-compassion instead is not based on self-evaluations. People feel compassion for themselves because all human beings, and I throw in their animals and plants, deserve compassion and understanding, not because they possess some particular set of traits or abilities, but just because they're a living being. So with self-compassion, you don't have to feel better than others to feel good about yourself. She talks about how it allows for a greater self-awareness because personal failings, your struggles, your shortcomings can be acknowledged with kindness. They don't need to be hidden. And so how she puts it is that self-compassion isn't dependent on external circumstances. It's always there. It's always available, especially when you fall flat on your face. Her research indicates that in comparison to self-esteem, self-compassion is actually associated with greater emotional resilience, more accurate self-concepts, more caring relationship behavior, as well as less narcissism and less reactive anger. So you can see that there's benefits to self-compassion over self-esteem. Self-compassion does not live in a place of judgment, either of yourself or someone else. Self-compassion is, in essence, the idea to be kind to yourself, especially when you feel you don't deserve it because you're human. And all humankind deserves compassion and understanding. The next thing that can allow kids to have confidence or can help raise kids' confidence is giving our kids choices. Our kids' confidence increases the more choices that they have. We all have control needs. We were built that way. It is our human nature to want control. And a lot of times we will do anything to get it. So if you can picture your toddler and them having a complete freakout, or maybe your 13-year-old and them having a complete freakout when they feel like they don't have control, people get bat poop crazy when their control is taken away from them. So when we give our kids choices, 
that control need is met. They don't have to find it somewhere else. They don't have to dig their feet deep into the ground. When we give up control over these little things, we gain control over the big ones. There are so many little things we can give choices in. Now, I'm not just talking about little things like, which shirt do you want to wear today? What would you like to have for breakfast today? What shoes do you want to wear today? Those are little things and those are definitely places that we can give choices. But I'm talking about big things too. Wow. You got invited to two birthday parties on the exact same day and both of them are your close friends. What are your thoughts about what you're going to do about that? Or walking them through how to solve those problems or, or how to make those choices. Is that an enormous choice? No. When they're 26, is it going to matter whose birthday party they went to? It's probably not. But is that a big choice for a 10-year-old? Sure. Yeah. That could make or break for them, right? So giving them any choice possible that they can make. Now, we're giving choices in things that seem big in their world, but they're not really big in the real world. And that allows them to make affordable mistakes and also to feel success. When they make a choice and it bombs, they're going to feel it. They're going to feel that discomfort. And because we're rocking at empathy, because we listened to the last podcast and we're looking into Brene Brown's stuff about empathy, we're able to sit in that discomfort with them, not fix it for them, but just sit in that discomfort with them. That allows them to learn from mistakes. But when they make a choice and it works out awesome, it allows them to feel confident and to feel successful in being able to make choices. It allows them to know that they are 100% capable. You're capable of being in this. You're capable of the discomfort and you're capable of handling it and figuring it out. So the last key that we're going to talk about today is boundaries. Now, you're saying, we just talked about choices. Now you want me to set boundaries? Yes. Kids need boundaries to feel safe, to feel secure, and to know what expectations are on the table. You're not going to have a kid come to you and say, mom, I'd really like some boundaries today. I'm going to go to this party this weekend. And if you could set me some boundaries, that would be absolutely awesome. It'll help me feel safe and it'll help me feel secure. And then I'll know what expectations are on the table. They're not going to do that. Don't wait for that. You'll be holding your breath for a long time. However, they do need these boundaries. Kids that have boundaries are more confident. You can give choices and boundaries. Here's the key. You never tell someone else what they can or can't do or what is allowed. Now, y'all are shrieking, I'm sure. I don't tell them what they can or can't do. What do you mean I don't tell them what they can or can't do? How am I going to set a boundary? Let me give that to you right now. So you're not going to tell them what they can do or what they can't do or what is allowed for them. You tell them what you are going to do, what you can do or what you can't do and what you're going to allow. So what this sounds like is I'd be happy to, I'm willing to, I'll allow, feel free to, blah, 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 blah as long as it doesn't cause a problem. Or, oh, I would absolutely love to. I'm excited to. You're welcome to. Blah, 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 blah. Just as long as da-da-da-da-da is taken care of. So I'd be happy to let the movie stay on as long as it doesn't cause a problem. Now, what do we call it when the kids can't agree on a movie and so everybody's screaming and crying? We call that a problem, right? I'm willing to take you over to so-and-so's house to play just as soon as your room is clean. I'd love to read Harry Potter to you tonight as long as teeth are brushed and jammies are on by eight o'clock. So you're not saying you need to brush your teeth, you need to get on your jammies, and then I'll read to you. 
because we're not telling them what to do. We're letting them know, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm willing to allow as long as this and this and this happens. We're taking that whole you out of it and we're letting them make a choice because then if they don't get teeth brushed and they don't get jammies on, Harry Potter doesn't happen. And they're the ones who made that choice. It's not because you're a terrible mom. It's not because you don't love them. It's because they decided to drag their feet. I feel like I fed you with a fire hose. (laughs) That's a lot of information and very little amount of time. And each one of those, I'm going to definitely expand on because each one of those five keys can be a whole episode of a podcast. So those will come later on. Pick one. Just pick one of those that you're going to focus on. And once you've mastered it, then do another and add another. Maybe there's one that you're already rocking at. You get to pat yourself on the back. You're on the right track. Imperfect parenting is the only option. It's all there is. So you do what you can do to continue to be the intentional parent you are. Again, go to my website, brickstherapy.com, B-R-I-C-K-S-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y, brickstherapy.com, and subscribe to the newsletter so you can have a weekly smile right there in your inbox. Enjoy this week's imperfect journey.